All right, welcome, LifePoint family, and uh, hey, um, let me just begin today um, by addressing just the absolute kind of craziness um, that's been happening um, in our culture with the election this week, and I just wanna say two quick things um, to our church just from a pastoral spot. Um, one, I just wanna say this, and I mean this with, uh, with all sincerity, that if Chick-fil-A drive throughs had been counting the ballots, we would know the results by 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Let me just kinda say that. Can, can somebody just write that down and get that to the appropriate people? And that'd be great. And then uh, secondly, um, let me say something that was true before the election that's even more true now, and it's this, that no matter how all of this stuff shakes out, uh, what we know is that God is sovereign, which means that he's the one that's ultimately in control. We know that no matter what. And, and what he has called us to do as his followers is to be salt and light in this world. And we do that best whenever we communicate with, uh, with a, you know, a, a graciousness and we are the adult in the room. That's how we do that best. So yes, we stand for the convictions that we have and we stand for our beliefs, but we do so with grace and a tone that reflects the security that we have in Christ. Because watch this, no matter who is in the White House, we know who's on the throne. And that will always be true. And so, uh, man, let's do that this week and set a tone of just uh, like that. We wanna be the adults in the room wherever, wherever we go, okay? Well, hey, if you got your Bibles, um, go ahead and head over to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, and uh, let me just say this. The book of Jonah is not super easy to find in the Bible. It's toward the end of the, uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. So let me give you a little trick to easily find the book of Jonah. Start in the Old Testament and start flipping towards the end and stop whenever you come across books with names like Star Wars characters. And then you'll know you're right around there with Jonah. The books like Obadiah, Nahum, Haggai, Chewbacca, all those names, you can just stop right there and, and you're close to Jonah when you get there. And let me talk about uh, what we're doing today. We're, we're starting a four-week series through the book of Jonah and I'll, I'll kind of tip my cards as a pastor. Whenever there's like a lot going on in our nation or a lot going on in the world, what I really love to do is I just love to pause, grab a book of the Bible, and just preach right through that sucker. And uh, the reason I like to do that is because I, I love to take the Bible and show its shocking relevance. I love to do that. Because watch this, guys. This is not an old book. This is a timeless book. It doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us what always happens. And so what we wanna do is we just wanna get in to the book of Jonah for the next four weeks and see its shocking relevance. Now, the title of the message today, I've titled this message, Running from a Calling. Running from a Calling. And, uh, and, and let me just kind of give away the entire message at the very beginning. So let me say it and then I'll preach it. Um, where I'm coming from is, is you've gotta understand this, that God created, God designed a specific calling and then he created you, he designed you with specific gifts and affinities, abilities and experiences for you to fulfill that calling. And what you gotta understand is that you will never be satisfied in life. Uh, you, you will never experience deep satisfaction and happiness until you are pouring your life out not just for compensation, not just for a career, not just for a hobby, not just wasting time and resources. You will be deeply satisfied in your life when you're pouring your life out as a drink offering, like the Apostle Paul said, for the calling that God created you to fulfill. 
Uh, the book of Ephesians, I just want you to see, see this in the Bible. The book of Ephesians says it like this. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Handiwork. God cared so much about you and the calling he created you to fulfill that he handcrafted you exactly as you are. Listen, you may have been a mistake to your deadbeat dad. You were created by the God of the universe on purpose and for a purpose. He created you were his handiwork. Why? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Watch this. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what you have to understand is that before you were even born, God had already planned what he wanted you to do with your life. Now, here's the problem that I've got as a pastor what I want to help you with today. The problem is most people never discover their calling, and so they certainly never fulfill it, <laughs> okay? Now, here's what the book of Jonah is. Jonah chapter one, where we're going to be today, it's the story of Jonah discovering and beginning to fulfill his calling. Now, remember what I said a second ago. That I really want you to get this as an anchor phrase in your head about the Bible. The Bible is not an old book. It's a timeless book. So it doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us what always happens. So Jonah chapter one is not just about Jonah discovering and beginning to fulfill his calling. Jonah chapter one is about you, how you can discover and begin to fulfill your calling. Here's what I'm gonna do in the next few minutes, all right? You gotta track with me because we're gonna move kind of fast. There are four specific things the book, Jonah chapter one shows us, four of them, about our callings. And I'm gonna move through them pretty briskly, okay? So here we go. First thing you need to know about your calling is this, Jonah chapter one shows us your calling will require faith. Your calling will require faith. Uh, look down at Jonah one, look at the first three verses of this, uh, of this chapter. Here's what it says, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. By the way, that's why we call it a calling, because God called out to Jonah. He will call out to you by his spirit, the son of Amittai. Go to the, and I want you to circle this word. Circle the word great. Go to the, word, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, you need to know this. Uh, it doesn't say great. It's not talking about Nineveh being bougie. And by the way, like, uh, if you don't know what that word is, ask your kids, okay? Not talking about Jonah, Nineveh being bougie. It's talking about Nineveh being big, in fact, in Jonah chapter three, what we find out is Nineveh was so large, it would take a person three days to walk from one city, side of the city, to the other. So God sends Jonah to a, watch this, a great city. Now, I wanna focus on that word great, and here's what I want us to have, the, the attitude I want us to have with our lives is that we want to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, why? Because we've got a great God. And so God sends Jonah to the, the great city of Nineveh, and here's why, to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now a little uh, ancient geography lesson really quick. The reason Jonah ran for, uh, when Jonah ran for Tarshish, here's what you gotta understand. The city of Nineveh was only a 500-mile walk to the west. The city of Tarshish was a 2,500-mile journey over sea to the east. Wait, wait. Nineveh, 500-mile walk to the west. Tarshish, 2,500 miles. Wait, it's the opposite. Nineveh to the west, east, Tarshish to the west. Guys, it's the 930 service, and we're, we're getting rolling here. 
So here's what you, here's what you gotta know here, okay? What you gotta understand is Tarshish was a coastal city on the far edge of Spain. They didn't know about North America, Greenland, Africa, South America. They didn't know about all of these places. Tarshish was literally the last city on an ancient map. It was the Hebrew Timbuktu. That's what Tarshish was. And Jonah goes there. He runs. Now, it's really, really easy for us to sit in 21st century air-conditioned Sunday school classes and go, oh, man, Jonah should have obeyed God. Why did he run? Okay, well, here's why he ran, all right? Uh, What you gotta understand, Nineveh, was the capital of an empire called Assyria. It was the largest empire in the world at the time. And it was also the most brutal empire in the world at the time. Um, Historians now refer to Assyria as, quote, a terrorist state. Now, the next few, the next 30 seconds of this sermon are admittedly a little intense. I need you to understand what God was calling Jonah to do. Assyria was a historically brutal terrorist state and empire. Um, There are actually stories from historians of the empire of Assyria taking enemies of the empire, and in order to send a message to their other enemies, what they would do is they would skin the enemies of their empire alive, stretch the skins of those people on the outside of their city walls, almost like warnings to people who would come, and then they would bury the skinned alive people up to their necks in the ground at night, pull out their tongues, drive a stake threw their tongues into the ground while they were still alive so that at night they would languish and die of thirst. One historian adds that at night they would make those same people listen to Celine Dion albums over and over and over and over. (laughs) You gotta have fun with this. But they were historically brutal people, absolutely brutal. And there are other stories about them going into battle and capturing enemies. And when they would capture their enemies in battle, what the Assyrians would do is they would cut off two legs of, one of their enemies and one of their arms, leaving one arm and hand so that they could shake the person's hand in mockery as they watched them dying. Uh, these were an unbelievably brutal people, but on top of that, you, you guys know where Nineveh is? In modern day Iraq. So let me put this in perspective. God calls this little Jewish guy to go to the capital of an Iraqi terrorist state and call out against it because of its wickedness. Now, think about this. When the call of God came to Jonah, it scared him. When the call of God comes to your life, it will scare you. Uh, God may call you to a sacrifice that you don't think you can afford. Uh, God may call you to share Christ with somebody that you really care about and like that relationship's really important to you, but they might reject you. God will definitely call you to use and exercise the spiritual gifts he put in you by the power of his spirit. He will call you to use them. He never calls you to what's comfortable. He'll call you to something outside of your comfort zone. He may call you to lead a church in the middle of a pandemic, a church that's a little larger than you're sure that you have the gifts to lead and to follow a leader whose shoes you're not sure that you can fill. What I know is that when God's call, his call in your life comes to you, it will scare you and it will require faith. And here's the decision that you'll have to make. Are you gonna live a life of fear for self-preservation or are you gonna live a life of faith for God glorification? And that decision will determine your legacy. That decision right there. 
Am I gonna live a life of fear for self-preservation? Or am I gonna live a life of bold faith in the living God for God glorification? If this isn't making sense to you, what I said is that decision will determine your legacy. If this isn't making sense to you, uh, I'm actually gonna do a visual illustration and I need your help. Everybody in the room, I need your help. Everybody at all of our campuses, I need your help. Church online, I need your help. Get ready for that raised hand emoji in the chat, okay? Uh, You guys remember there was a time in Numbers chapter 12 when God called Israel to go into the land of Canaan. You guys remember this? Take the land of Canaan. And he said that he had given them the land. Well, Moses sent, watch this, he sent 12 12 spies into Canaan to spy out the land. And so they go in, these 12 spies, you you remember what they do is 10 of them go in and they see that there are armed giants all throughout the land. And 10 of them come back and they're scared. And they say, no, 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 we can't do it. We'll never be able to defeat these enemies. But there were two faith guys. Remember, Remember these names in your head. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Two guys come back and they say, those enemies are great, our God's greater. God promised he would give us this land and we have faith in the living God and so let's go. So 10 wanna live out of fear, let's don't do it. Two have faith and they say, let's go. Now here's what I'm gonna do. Here's where I need your help. In this room, all of our campuses, online, get ready for the raise hands. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read the names of those 12 spies that were sent into the land. If you have ever personally known someone with the name as I read it, Will you raise your hand really high? Okay, here we go. Shamua. Nobody, okay. Uh, Shaphat. Nobody, all right. Uh, Palti. Nobody, okay. Gadiel. If you're looking for baby names, these are available. Okay. These are, nobody, okay. Gaddy. Not Mr. Gaddy, you know, okay. Uh, Amiel. Nobody, all right. Uh, Seether. Still, still nobody, we're over. Nobby. Uh, nothing. Guiel. There's a winner right there, guys. Guiel. Apologies if that's your name online, by the way. No, no, no. Here, here we go. What about this? Joshua. You better get your hand up. <laughs> Joshua. Now, let me do one more. Caleb. Now, watch this. The only people who get remembered are the people who live by faith. Nobody gets remembered who lives by fear. Watch this, because fear will keep you from your calling and erase your legacy before it happens. You see that? Your calling, I promise, it will require faith. Now watch this, number two. If you wanna determine your calling, to discover your calling, this is gonna sound a little weird, watch what makes you miserable. Watch what makes you miserable. Now, if that doesn't make sense, I'll give you an example of this. So this is, sounds a, lot, a little counterintuitive. This is actually, go, later. here's your homework after this message. Go to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that God doesn't just bring us through times of misery to change us. He brings us through times of misery so that we can turn around at other times in our lives and minister to other people who are walking through that same misery. Now, let me explain this, okay? You may never have seen this in the book of Jonah before. You might think that the main reason Jonah ran from Nineveh was because he was scared of being skinned alive and, and, and buried and have to listen to Celine Dion's CD. That, that may have been why you thought Jonah ran. It's not why he ran. Actually, in Jonah chapter four, spoiler alert, what happens is Jonah goes and he preaches to Nineveh and God pours out his spirit and there's an incredible spiritual awakening. 
And the entire city of Nineveh repents and they turn to the living God. And you would think, you know, that, that Jonah, preacher, would be like on cloud nine. Like I just preached the best message that's ever been preached. Massive revival. It's not what happens. Jonah sits down under a tree, angry and weeping, ready, ready for suicide. And he says, I'm angry enough to die. God says, Jonah, why are you angry? And this is what Jonah says. He says, I knew you'd do this. I knew that I would preach and you would forgive them and you, nothing bad would happen in the name of I knew you'd pour out mercy. I am so angry that you did. And what we discover is that Jonah had spent his entire life furious, disturbed, miserable at the injustice that he watched the Assyrian Empire committing in the world. Now, now watch this. What happened to Jonah is God saw Jonah's misery over the Assyrian Empire's injustice, and he went, oh, that's what makes you miserable? Okay, buddy, then I'm gonna call you to be the one and go do something about it. God, watch this. God turned Jonah's misery into ministry. Here's a calling commandment for you. Thou shalt turn your misery into ministry. That's a calling commandment. Thou shalt turn your misery into ministry. Uh, you know, right now, back uh, that way in the building that I'm in, uh, there are a lot of people who, when they were in their childhood, they look back at their childhood and they go, man, my childhood was so broken if I'd have just had like a godly adult that would have walked with me and loved me towards the Lord to have been a positive influence, it would have changed everything. And they look back at their miserable childhood and they're like, if I'd have just had that, and do you know who those people are now? They're some of our best kids ministry workers. They wake up and they go, man, I'll never let that happen to any kid that I can do something about. You know, there's other people who, uh, they look back at like their middle school and high school years and those were absolutely miserable years. And they look back at those years and they're like, man, uh, if I'd have just had a person of affirmation in my life, if I'd have just had a godly adult to love me, walk with me, and tell me that everything really was gonna be okay, they're like, hey listen, if I'd have just had somebody who could have said to me, hey, I can't get you out of that pit, but I'll crawl down in it and stay in it with you until God does. If I'd have just had that person in my life, my entire middle school and high school experience would have been different. Do you know who those people are? They're our best student ministry leaders now. Do you know why some of our life group leaders are so faithful year after year after year after year to teach the Bible faithfully? Because a lot of them, they look back and they have this, ang it's almost like an anger, it's a misery. And they go, why didn't I have somebody to teach me the Bible faithfully and accurately? And they look back and they have that misery and now what they're doing is they're turning their misery into ministry. And if you wanna understand what God's call is on your life, look at what has broken you. Look at your life's greatest misery and what you will see in your life is that your greatest ministry will come from your deepest misery. You wanna know what your calling is? Look at what makes you miserable. Number three, your calling will not require perfection. Your calling will not require perfection. You know, um, I wanna trace a theme in the, in the book of Jonah for you really quick. It's really interesting. Bible scholars point out that the book of Jonah is not really about the conversion of Nineveh as much as it is about the conversion of Jonah. When you read the book of Jonah, Jonah 
is the worst guy in the book. Like he, he's always the worst guy. Think about this. Every time Jonah is with unbelieving pagans who worship false gods, you've got Jonah, faithful Yahweh-worshiping Israelite, and pagan, false god-worshiping pagans, okay? Whenever he's with them, the pagans in the book of Jonah are always acting more righteously than Jonah. Think about this. Look down at verse five in chapter one. So the storm comes, the storm comes when Jonah's on the boat, and it says, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But, but where's Jonah? Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Okay, so, so the pagan sailors are praying and Jonah is ignorant and apathetic. He's like the guy that was asked, uh, do you think the two biggest problems in America are ignorance and apathy? And the guy responded, I don't know and I don't care. That's what I said. Some of you get that tomorrow. And that's Jonah. These guys are praying, Jonah's sleeping. Think about this. When the call of God came to to Nineveh, comes to Nineveh, they repent. When the call of God comes to Jonah, he runs. Yet he is the person that God uses, watch this, because God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And our God has always done that. Listen, you don't have to be perfect to start your calling, and here's why. Because fulfilling your calling is the process that God will use to perfect you. That's how God will do it. Some of you right now, what you do is, there are things in your heart that you want to do for the glory of God and the good of people. There's callings God has put in your heart and in your life. But you walk around like this, you go, oh man, you know, I I could never do that, I could never be a part of that because I've been divorced. Or I committed adultery at a time in my life. It's almost like you think that you're supposed to walk around for the rest of your life like a scarlet D or a scarlet A on your chest. Guys, you listen to me. If you were in Christ, there's only one letter that's supposed to be on your chest, the letter F for forgiven. And it's scarlet because it's written in the blood of God's own son. That's the only letter that's supposed to be on your chest. Some of you do that. You walk around going, man, I could never do that because once upon a time I did that. Some of you are like, man, yeah, but I, you know, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be involved in that ministry, but I've got a rap sheet. Or I had a moral failure. By the way, I don't even know what moral failure means. My Bible tells me every single person everywhere is a moral failure. Some of you guys at some point in your life, maybe you did something or said something that got you canceled by like your friends. Uh, listen, you know, you know what my Bible tells me about canceled? It says that Jesus went to the cross and quote, canceled the record of debt that stood against us because of sin. Listen, Christianity was the original cancel culture, but we don't cancel people. We cancel sin, we cancel shame, we cancel regret. I'm preaching 60% better than you're responding right now. Listen, we we cancel all, we cancel mistakes, we cancel failure, we cancel all those things. And so listen, perfection is not a prerequisite for participation in the calling of God. God's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to be a vessel for the one who is perfect. Okay, now I, I wanna just kind of make this visual real quick. Let me see that, this pizza box. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine that um, today when we finish services that you go home and you order a personal pizza. And you may go, that's right, amen. You, you, you may go, hey Josh, uh, that's not a personal pizza, that's a large. Listen, any pizza is a personal pizza if you try hard enough. That's my conviction. I got that deep conviction. Come on somebody, that's it. So you go home, you order a personal pizza, right? And then, but I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you order it 
And then uh, the, deli- the pizza delivery man comes and he rings the doorbell. You open the door and he's standing there holding your pizza but in his bare hand with no box. And he's just standing there and he's asserted, were you the one that ordered the pepperoni pizza? And you're like, yeah. And he's sitting there, the cheese dripping down his hand, grease everywhere, that kind of, you don't know where that hand's been, you don't know where that hand's done, you got no idea. And in that moment, you would have one question, I guarantee, you would ask the question, bro, where is the box? Where's the box? Because I was expecting the product to come in a vessel. You'd be going, man, where is the box? Now here's what you need to know, you would be super concerned. In that moment, the box would be of extreme value to you. Very concerned about the box. But I need you to know something about this box. This box is only worth about 39 cents. That's it. This box isn't valuable but it takes on tremendous importance because of what is placed in it. There's nothing special about this. The box doesn't give value to the product, the product gives value to the box. Guys, watch this. We're just the vessel, and Christ has been placed in us. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be something special. You don't have to look like a movie star. You don't have to be really talented. You don't have to be really smart or really successful. Here's what you gotta do. You've gotta be empty and you've gotta be available. And if you'll just be empty and you'll be available, God says, you give me a vessel and I'll give you my miracle, I'll give you a purpose, I'll give you a calling, I'll give you my will for your life. He's looking for people who are empty and who are available, who say to God, here am I, send me. Perfection is not a prerequisite for participation in the call of God in your life. Your calling will not require perfection. The last thing you gotta understand is that running from your calling will result in despair. Running from your calling will result in despair. Um, Hebrew Bible scholars, what they've pointed out is that all throughout the book of Jonah, there's a word that gets repeated And actually, when you read the book of Jonah, I want you to circle this word, it's the word down. All, it gets repeated over and over. Think about it, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to the inner part of the ship. He went down into sleep. He went down into the ocean. He went down into the fish. That word is in Jonah over and over and over and over. And do you know what it's showing you? It's showing you that when you run from your calling, your life becomes a downward spiral. This is why, for some of you, here's, here's the story of the last 10 years of your life. Let me, let me tell you your life story last 10 years. Your income went up, your income went up, your status went up, your position on the org chart went up, and your happiness went down. This is why it's possible to simultaneously have a professional high and a personal low. Because when you run from your calling, you become miserable. God designed you, here's how this math works. God designed you to live for a purpose, and you can't satisfy an appetite for purpose with possessions or profession. You can't do that, okay? Now, sociologists are actually seeing, this is actually hardwired into you. You are designed to live for a purpose, and I love when science starts catching up with the Bible. I love when this happens. So some of you, when you were in college, you studied what was called uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. You guys remember this? And a bunch of sociologists, they got together and they studied human behavior. What drives human behavior? And they discovered that there are really, they used to think that there were six, and then in the last few years, they discovered there's a seventh. Six 
needs that drive human behavior. And, and then they discovered recently there's a seventh, it's a new one, okay? It's the highest one. So here's how this goes. Starting at the bottom is that everybody, they've got uh, physical needs. Uh, these are things like you need to breathe, you need to eat, you need to sleep, physical needs, okay? Then right above that, you've got safety needs, a need to feel safe and secure. By the way, that's what's driving the political hysteria in our world. It's where, why people buy insurance. It's why they lock their doors. It's why we need police. It's why we'll stay in a bad job that makes us miserable because we just feel like, oh man, it brings a feeling of safety to our lives, okay? And then the next one above that is that they call it love needs. You've got a need to belong to someone. Uh, affection, this is why social media is so big because people have love needs. Then above that, they call it esteem needs. Only about 40% of people in the world have their esteem needs met. This is the need that you have for affirmation. You need someone to see what's good in you and call it out, uh, to be complimented. Now, by the way, this is different for guys and girls, how this need gets met, this esteem needs. Uh, it's very different. This is why girls can look absolutely perfect and you compliment them and they're like, oh, not me. And then a guy can look like a big flat slob and be like, I'm awesome, what's up everybody? You know, it's, it's very, very different how these needs get met, but you've got esteem needs, esteem needs. And then above that, you've got what's called cognitive needs, cognitive needs. This is the need to learn. By the way, this need is why some of you are here. Uh, this is why uh, we love documentaries, why people like trivia. Then above this, they call it aesthetic needs. This is the need for beauty. Okay, it's why we like landscapes and painting and art. This need, by the way, is why people like Instagram more than Twitter, is aesthetic needs. Now, what, used to, what sociologists used to think was the highest need in your life is what is called self-actualization needs. They used to think that was the highest need in the human soul. And that's like the feeling of like when I win, when I achieve and manifest what I, what I have happened in my life. It's, when, it's like when my team is the champion, when I make the money that I've always wanted, when I get the position that I've always wanted. That's self-actualization needs. Now, for years and years, they thought self-actualization needs were your highest need. Sociologists have recently figured out, science caught up to the Bible, they figured out that's not the highest need of the human soul. Actually, the highest need of the human soul, they added one in the last few years. The highest need of the human soul is something they now call transcendent needs, transcendent needs. That's the need to live beyond yourself. It's the need that's hardwired in the human soul to make a difference beyond your life in this world. It's why when you do an act of kindness that reduces somebody to tears, you walk away and you go, that felt awesome. Self-actualization needs. That's the highest need in your life. Sociologists caught up to the Bible. You will never be happy. You will never be deeply satisfied until you're pouring yourself out for a calling beyond yourself to glorify God and help people. That's the only way that you can satisfy your highest need. You know, years ago, um, I was uh, going to college in Jackson, Tennessee at Union University. And one Sunday morning, I woke up and was driving to church, and uh, on my way to church on the corner where I turned to go to my church, um, I saw there was a homeless man there uh, that was just sort of sitting there, and he had stopped even trying, like kind of head down in between his knees, little sign out there. And uh, my first thought was, I should help this guy. 
And then my second thought was, well, I don't have time to help a homeless person. I'm on my way to church. And then I thought, oh wait, I think the God that I'm getting ready to worship would be really, really glorified and honored if I'd stop and help somebody that was in need. And so I, I just did it, you know. Now by the way, I'm not always awesome. I just had one good day many, many years ago. And so I did, and I pulled over and I just said, hey man, you know, uh, where are you headed? <laughs> and his response was, Memphis, Tennessee. I was like, I was thinking like McDonald's. Like that's what, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, just something in me, the spirit prompted me, I don't know what it was, but I just thought, you know what? To Memphis we go. And so uh, for two and a half hours, I shared that morning, a guy's name was Andy. And Andy and I just sat there and we talked and talked and finally I learned uh, how Andy became homeless. And uh, his story was that he had gotten really, really, really caught up in an opioid addiction. And uh, it drove him to do things that degraded his body, degraded his life, and uh, it drove him to steal from his family members. And so one by one, all at his wife, he had three kids, his wife and his first two kids uh, cut him off from their life and said they, they wouldn't talk to him anymore. And his last ditch effort was his youngest son said that he was willing to help his dad. And his son was driving him back to where his son lived. And his son went into a gas station and he's in the middle of his addiction and he did something really dumb and he took a few dollars from his son's dashboard. And his son realized what he'd done and his last family member that was willing to have anything to do with him dropped him off in the middle of the road in Jackson, Tennessee and said, don't ever speak to me again. And uh, so there was Andy, all alone. And uh, we talked that day and you know, we just talked and for two hours, you know, it was kinda like I was Andy's son, just sharing time with him. We got to uh, Memphis and I dropped him off at a gas station and uh, we were in there and he was grabbing a few things. And when we got to the counter, we're standing there and it's me, <laughs> homeless Andy, and gas station attendant, and, uh, and I just said, hey, anything that Andy needs is on me today. And uh, he, as soon as I said that, a little tear popped out of his eye. He realized he was in front of a gas station attendant, knew it wasn't the right place. He shoves it back in, you know, that kind of thing. And, and he just looked at me and he said, uh, he said, why? You know? And I said, man, I just, I just want you to know that you're loved by God. And uh, he hugged me, and I hugged him back. And uh, afterwards he said, I'll never forget it. He said, somebody hadn't hugged me in a really, really long time. And tears on his face, smile on his face. I just saw him walking away with those, you know, groceries over his shoulder, head held a little higher than it was, you know, when we first met. And as I'm driving away, seeing that in the rearview mirror, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, who else, God? Who else do you want me to, what do you want me to do? I'll go anyway, you know? That's what I was thinking, you know, I just wanted to get out because it was the best feeling in the whole world. Do you know why? Because that's, I was meeting my highest need. The highest need of the human soul is to make a difference in somebody's life beyond yourself, to glorify God and to help his children. And that's why God put you on this planet and you will never be satisfied. You'll never be happy until you're fulfilling that calling. And God has created a calling for you and prepared you for it. Are you willing to step into that, to discover it and fulfill it? And what I wanna do is I wanna pray. We're gonna give you some next steps on how to do that here in a second. But right now I just wanna pray 
that you'll embrace it, that we as a church will embrace it. So will you pray with me? So Father, we say right along with the book of Isaiah, here am I, send me. We will go wherever you want us to go and we will do whatever you want us to do and we're ready. And so Father, would you pour out your spirit on our church? Would you make, would you make us a wherever people, a whatever people? who just say, man, my, my entire life, everything I am, everything I have is yours, so that we pour these things out, we pour ourselves out for your glory and people's good. And God, would you use that and multiply it a hundred, a thousand fold, so that people might come to know you and have their lives bettered in this world. We love you, we pray those things in the crucified, risen name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen, amen, amen.